Now our scripture reading today will be taken from Romans chapter 5. If you'd open your Bibles there, please. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 21. Oftentimes you'll hear Christians say to one another, what's your favorite passage? What's your favorite text? What you would rarely hear is Christians saying to another Christian, what's your least favorite text? Your least favorite passage? If that question were asked, although most really don't know the answer to that question, the fact of the matter is the answer would be this one. This one is probably one of the least favorite passages for most of the people in the world for about five reasons. First of all, it's a passage that deals with heavy theology, and most people don't like that. When they go to church, they want to hear something simple and light and fluffy, and they don't want to hear heavy doctrine and heavy theology, and this passage is just full of heavy doctrine, as we'll bring out. Secondly, it deals with the subject of sin and death, and who likes that theme, sin and death. Thirdly, it clearly establishes we have to be saved by another person, not ourselves, and most people don't like that, because they like to think that they could possibly save themselves. Fourthly, it clearly establishes we became a sinner through another person, and we don't like that. We're proud, and we like to take our own responsibility for our own sin. And finally, we got the death penalty from another person, and we don't like that. So all of that is in this text. It's not a real popular text. Now, you'll notice as we glance down through chapter 5, before I begin the reading this morning, that you'll keep reading the adjective adverb much more, much more. That shows up in verse 9, 10, 15, 17, and 20. What we actually have is a combination of an adjective and an adverb that does a greatness comparison. So this is a logical argument of lesser theological value versus greater theological value. That's what the much more means. I want to begin reading at verse 12. I'll pause at the end of verse 12 to make a couple of remarks, then we'll read the rest of the text. Starting at verse 12, therefore... Just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Therefore, in view of the fact that you can only be justified and reconciled to God by faith in Jesus Christ, let me explain to you how this whole process works. That's what that therefore means. Let me give an explanation of how this works. Now, you'll notice in verse 12 it says that one man, sin, entered the world. But if you think through the Genesis account, it came through a woman. So you have to ask yourself, why in the world is the emphasis on one man when in fact it was Eve who first sinned? And there are three answers to that. First of all, Eve was deceived. That's what we learn. That's what Paul says in 1 Timothy. She was deceived, first deceived. Adam blatantly chose to sin deliberately. Secondly, Adam was the head over Eve. He's her representative. And thirdly, Adam introduces the negative of sin to the world so Jesus Christ can introduce the positive of justification to the world. That is why it is so important, as you'll see as we go through this this morning, that you have this heavy theology of federal headship. Adam, what we get in Adam, and what we get in Christ. Now, reading on verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world... But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. 
But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound unto the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that... As sin reign in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to notice in verse 21, grace reigns through righteousness. In other words, grace has to meet the standards of righteousness. Somebody has to make the payment for grace. Because grace comes through righteousness, which we don't have. Somebody has to make the payment for righteousness. So people that would use the phrase cheap grace, there is no such thing as cheap grace. Somebody has to pay a high price that meets the standard of righteousness in order for grace to exist. May God add his blessing to the reading of the scriptures this morning and to the exposition to follow. Would you join with me please in prayer? Heavenly Father, we bow before thee today to thank you for grace. It is revealed here in this text at a depth level that could only come from you. I mean, the fact is, our minds couldn't even devise this salvific plan. We don't even think in these terms. But what an all-wise, all-knowing, glorious God you truly are for devising this. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us and your grace. And we thank you for this church. We thank you for this flock. Each person is special to you. Each person is special to us. And one of our dear flock, one of our dear people, needs your special intervening help today or tomorrow, and we pray that for Mo. Lord, we pray that this new procedure of radiation will be a success. Guide the minds and skills of the doctors and the nurses and bring him safely through the surgery. Bring him back home and bring him back here. We pray for Judy and Michelle that you would give them strength and peace as they're there going through this with them. And Lord, we pray for others of this flock who are struggling physically. We have many. That virus and flu has just swept through the area and, and through the church. We pray that you would grant your healing grace to all that are experiencing that. We pray for the discouraged, that you would lift their spirits. We pray for those who perhaps they've lost fellowship with you due to their own choices. May they get that resolved, confess it, and get back into a right frame of relationship with you. And we would pray for the lost. We ask, Lord, that those that are lost would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for those who've lost loved ones. We think of the Valistra family. We pray that you just continue to strengthen them and encourage them and give them peace way beyond human understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. According to recent statistical world metrics, 
70 million people die every year in the world. 191,780 people die every day. 7,991 people die every hour. 133 people die every second. By the time this exposition is over, 4,661 more people will have died somewhere in the world. According to recent statistical USA metrics, 3,383,729 people die every year. 9,270 people die every day. 154 people die every hour. 2.5 people die every second. By the time this exposition is over, 90 more people will have died somewhere in the United States. Now we're living in a world of gyms and health clubs and health spas and diets and health foods and exercise equipment, vitamins and medicines that are all designed to keep us healthy and alive. We have our annual checkups and we have prescriptions that are designed to keep us on this earth for a long, long time. But the truth is, no matter what we do, we can't stop time and if the Lord does not return, all are going to die. If you are an average man, you'll make it to about 76. If you're an average woman, you'll make it to about 81. Perhaps you'll make it longer, perhaps not quite as long. The fact is, it doesn't matter who we are, and it doesn't matter what we are. It doesn't matter what age we are now, and it doesn't matter what we have or how much wealth we've had. It doesn't matter what our accomplishments were or our social status. The fact of the matter is, death is tracking all of us. Now, death is intimidating. It's, it's very personal. It, it, it's very inescapable. It can break the strongest. It can humble the proudest. Death can hit us when we least expect it or when we most expect it. It can track us down at any time, any place, any circumstance. When God authorizes death to come after us, there's not a thing anybody in this world can do to stop it. Now, the critical question of life is this. Why does it have to end, and why do we have to die? Since we come to Romans chapter 5 that tells us we are at peace with God if we've been justified by faith, why is it, if we're at peace with God, that a believer would have to die? If we're at peace with God, what is that all about? Well, Paul tackles that great theological question in this text of Scripture before us today. And what he actually does in this context is he discusses death in a contrast with the subject of justification and life. What he actually says here is just as death is a judicial negative judgment of God against all sinful people, so God's grace is a judicial positive judgment of God for all justified people. Death is actually part of a highly deeply developed and highly calculated judicial plan of God that actually enables God to bring sinners into a right relationship with him. You see, if death is a judicial penalty that comes by judicial calculation, then justification is a judicial acquittal that may also come by judicial calculation. Now, when you think about the subject of death, biblically speaking, there's one word that kind of sums it up. It's the word separation. In any kind of death in the Bible, something is separated from something else. And in the scriptures, there are three kinds of death. First of all, you have physical death, in which the soul and spirit are separated from the body. The person's here, and then they're gone. I mean, the body's here, but they're gone. That's physical death. 
Then you have spiritual death. Every person born into this world is born separated from God because of sin. And then there's eternal death, where a person is separated from God forever in hell because they wouldn't believe in Jesus Christ. Now, the key question that Paul is answering here is why is there death? Why do people have to die? Well, some will say, well, we die because of sickness or disease or age or accident. That answers the question of how we die. It doesn't answer the question of why we die. And Paul makes it very clear in this text, the reason we die is because of Adam's sin. Man, he's going to lay this out. And by the way, you may not like this, but God doesn't care if you do. It's the truth. It's the truth. And Paul's going to lay this out. We're all facing the death penalty because of Adam. Every human is related to Adam, and the proof of it is we are all going to die. And that death ratio is still one for one. And what Paul will develop here is this is part of a very carefully calculated plan of God. This judicial plan of God means we receive a death sentence in Adam so we can receive a life sentence in Jesus Christ. This isn't just haphazard here. This is deep theology and doctrine here. And what we will see here is that death is not just an Adamic penalty for sin. It's part of a deeply, carefully thought out, calculated judicial system of God that would enable him to declare people righteous in Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Now men don't like that. People don't like that. They don't like the idea, I've got to be saved by someone else. Because men are proud of themselves. They like to think highly of themselves. They don't like the idea, I've got to be saved by somebody. And they sure don't like the idea that I got sin penalty and death penalty from somebody else. But as I mentioned a moment ago, God doesn't care if men like it or not. It's the truth. It's the truth. And Paul is revealing the truth, and he brings out two main theological subjects here to express it. Number one, what all people have in Adam, verses 12 to 14. Now, I want to point out the fact that Adam is mentioned there in verse 14, which proves something very significant that you should remember for the rest of your life. The Genesis account is literal and true. And you can prove it by death. In fact, we will prove it by death in just a minute. But the Genesis account is literal and true. That story that takes place in Genesis about Adam and Eve is not just some mystical religious story that's designed to just entertain your mind. This is true fact here. And the true fact really comes out when you go through this text. Now, according to verse 12, every person in this world... Every person in this country, every person in this state, every person in this sanctuary has received three negative realities from Adam. Now, most people love to take a look at their ancestral lineage. This is a big deal now. And you know that. I mean, maybe, maybe you're involved. And what you're really looking for, there, what you're hoping to find there is, boy, somebody of significance in that line. I mean, somebody really made it that we can kind of link our name to. We like to research ancestral stuff and find out if there's somebody important that we can link our name to. Most people don't realize that all of us can trace our ancestral lineage back to Adam 
And boy, he really did something all right. I mean, he really did something. And it doesn't matter if a person likes it or agrees with it. God says this is the way it is. We got three negative realities from Adam. Number one, we all received sin in Adam. Notice verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. We receive sin from Adam. We don't become a sinner by sinning. We are a sinner. That's why we sin. You can prove that with a little child. You don't have to teach a child how to be naughty. (laughs) That child has an inkling to be naughty. You could take a child, a little child, and set him in a nursery, or her in a nursery, and you could give that child ten toys. And that child could be sitting there with ten toys. You could put another child on the other side with just one toy, and that child will want that toy. Now, why is that? Because there's something wrong with that kid. Well, what's wrong with that kid? What's wrong with that kid? What's wrong with all of us? The fact of the matter is we are all sinners. We have a sin nature, and that is programmed even from the early days on. We do not become a sinner because we commit sin. The reason why we commit sin is because we're born with a sin nature. The second negative reality is we all received death from Adam. We all received death from Adam. That's what he says. Just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin. I mean, the fact of the matter is, we receive sin from Adam, and we also receive death in this world from Adam. Death was not in the world till Adam sinned. It didn't exist here. And when he sinned, not only did we get his sin problem, but we also got the death penalty. This is why you can read obituaries in the newspapers. Obituaries that you read in the newspapers are there because we all received death from Adam. And... We all receive the death penalty from Adam. Verse 12 says, And death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Our representative went bad. And when he went bad, he took us with him. That verb, all sinned, in verse 12 there, is an aorist tense verb. What that means is that Paul is looking back to a specific moment of time when God calculated these things, and that moment of time was when Adam sinned. All, all. When Adam sinned, all humanity sinned. That's the way God calculated this. No matter who the person is, where the person is, what the person is, God calculated all sin in Adam. So at the moment that Adam sinned, God made this judicial calculation for all humanity. And his judicial calculation was all people have sinned, all people are sentenced to die, and all people are given the death penalty. Adam is our representative, and Adam represents the human race, and we got everything from him. And understand that. Don't try to just explain this away. You get this point because this becomes the key to your salvation. This becomes of theological significance to your justification. We're not going to die because of our own personal sin, even though we've all personally sinned a bunch of times. We'll die because of Adam's sin. And we actually can prove that in the death of a baby. Why does a baby die? Why is that? They haven't grown up and made choices to sin. How come they would die? 
it's because they've received a death penalty like everybody else. It's just that God decides at certain ages, certain people die for certain reasons way beyond me. I can't explain it all, but that's in his hands. People don't like this. They don't like this. But David had a perspective of it when he said, you know, in sin, my mother conceived me. I was born with a sin nature. We're born sinners, and we deserve the wrath of God. And God says, I have calculated this program out. I've thought this program through, and there's a reason why I'm doing this. Because if I can declare you sinful in one and give you that penalty in one, I can declare you righteous in another and give you everlasting life in another. And there are three evidences of the fact that we all received sin from Adam, we all received death from Adam, and we all got the death penalty from Adam. The three evidences are, number one, the context is a contrast between two federal heads, what we received in Adam versus what we receive in Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 14 says that Christ is a antithetical type of Adam. He's the second Adam. The second evidence is the text specifically says this very fact, that we receive death and condemnation from Adam. Look at verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. Notice verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Notice verse 18. So then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. And then in verse 19, for as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. I mean, that's what the text says. We got this all from Adam. And then the illustration that he uses in verses 13 to 14. Look at verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, sin was in the world before the law was ever given. But sin was not imputed or charged to the account of an individual until the law was given. And yet, all people died from the time of Adam until the time of Moses when God gave the law. And the answer to the question of why did they die? If the people did not directly disobey a command of God because God hadn't given his commandments yet, if people didn't disobey God like Adam did, where you're not to eat of that tree and he went ahead and did it anyway, I mean, if they didn't disobey God like he did, then why did they die? They got the death penalty from Adam. In other words, they died for the same reason you and I are going to die, because of Adam's sin. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it well when he said, when Adam sinned, he turned the world into one vast cemetery. I could put in the word seminary there. It would fit. (laughs) We're not going to die because of our sin. We're going to die because of Adam's sin. From Adam we received death and the death penalty. And you say, what kind of gift is that? You know, I read a list of the worst gifts you can buy somebody for Christmas. I'm going to go through the list. Put on a poker face in case you bought something here. (laughs) Don't yell out, oh, no, when you hear this, okay? But here they are, the worst gifts you can get someone for Christmas. A picture frame. Self-help book on a subject you think the person needs. Sweat-absorbing armpit pads. (laughs) Ugly Christmas sweater. 
ugly tie, a gift card to a place no one will ever go. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, a weight scale. Oh, quiet down now. Uh, candles from the dollar store. <laughs> a, a weight loss program. Something no one knows what it is when you give it to them. A case of Beano gas relief pills. <laughs> and also a note that says, I'm your gift. Those are lousy gifts. Those are lousy gifts. But... Of all the lousy gifts we've ever received or think we've ever received, the fact of the matter is it doesn't compare to this. And you would naturally think that is just, I can't believe it. I mean, I actually got death and the death penalty and I got sin from Adam. What a lousy gift that Adam gave us. And what people don't realize, though, is that this was all part of a carefully calculated judicial gift package of God. And before we move on to that part of it, I want to make three important observations. We wouldn't have done any better if we'd have been there. We couldn't and wouldn't have done any better than Adam had we been in even, even now. I mean, people say, this is just not fair. I'll tell you what isn't fair. What isn't fair is to declare us righteous based on the work of Jesus Christ. That's not fair. That's grace. But let's suppose God says, okay, you want your own crack at this? I'll give you a shot. We'll start right now. We'll start right here in this service today. You get your own fresh start. You get your own fresh shot at this. You go out into the world and you obey me in every way. You leave the sanctuary this morning and go out in the world. The world's not Eden anymore. I mean, the world is not your friend anymore, but see how long you last. So I'll give you the death penalty the moment you blow it. Some wouldn't be back for tonight's service. Some probably wouldn't even make it home. The fact of the matter is we wouldn't have done better than Adam had we been there. Secondly, God's system is perfectly judicially designed and calculated. If we're not made sinners by one Adam, then it's not right to make us righteous by one God-man, Jesus Christ. The two go hand in hand. If he's going to make a judicial calculation as judge, remember, this is a just God, and grace has to be rooted in righteousness. He's a just God. So if he doesn't declare us guilty in Adam, he can't declare us righteous in Jesus Christ. And thirdly, Jesus Christ is far greater than Adam to those who are in Christ because we receive far more positives than we ever received in Adam's negatives. Anything that Adam did, Christ is the antithesis. What Adam judicially does, Jesus Christ judicially undoes. The federal headship theology is a much more federal headship theology. Jesus Christ is the head of all righteous people. Adam is the head of all sinful people. Adam was born to live but brought death. Christ was born to die and brought life. Adam was tested in Eden and failed. Christ was tested in the wilderness and triumphed. Adam died as a result of his sin. Christ died as a result of our sin. Adam brings judgment upon us. Christ takes judgment from us. Adam gets us ousted from Eden. Christ gets us entrance into heaven. Adam ruins our fellowship with God. Christ restores our fellowship with God. This is God's judicial system here. I told you, this is deep theology here. But what Paul is developing here is God designed a system. 
And he designed the system so as God and his righteous just judge, he could make a declaration of what we would get in Adam so he could make another declaration of what we could receive in Jesus Christ, which brings us to his second subject, what many people have in Jesus Christ. The worst thing that ever happened to us was when Adam sinned, but the best thing that ever happened to us was when Christ died. Justification not only has benefits, it reverses this entire Adamic curse. And what Paul masterfully does in this text is he shows five major superiorities that one in Jesus Christ has when compared to Adam. Superiority number one, those in Christ have something greater than the Adamic death penalty. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. There are two nouns that keep showing up several times in these verses. Both nouns have an article, the with them, the gift and the grace. What we could call this would be the great grace gift, which is justification. And what Paul is saying here is that this grace, this great grace gift of justification in which God declares a sinner righteous is something that is far greater than anything we ever got from Adam. Now, we learn that the first thing we received from Adam was the penalty or sentence of death. The penalty for the offense in Adam was death. But for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've received this great gift of justification in which that penalty is removed. It's true. We may physically die. But if we physically die, we have life, eternal life. So he's undone that. There are many people who are still heading to condemnation because of Adam's sin. And there are many people who are not heading to condemnation in spite of Adam's sin. Because they've been the recipient of the great grace gift. And when one believes in Jesus Christ, there's this judicial declaration that just as God declared us sinful and give us a death penalty in Adam, so he declares us righteous in Jesus Christ. He undoes what Adam did. The second superiority is those in Christ have something greater than the Adamic judgment sentence. Notice verse 16, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. God made a judicial judgment in that he condemned us in Adam. And what that enabled God to do was to make another judicial calculation in which he justifies us in Jesus Christ. We were judged to be a sinner in Adam. When we believe on the Lord, we're judged to be righteous in Jesus Christ. Condemnation in Adam, justification in Christ. And Paul brings this point out, if you look carefully at what he says in verse 16. We were judged guilty because of Adam's one sin. One sin. But we're judged righteous in view of many sins. Many sins that we know we've committed. Condemnation is determined by one sin. Justification covers many sins, so don't overlook that fact. Justification is a gift, and that's what it's called. It is a gift. It is not the result of works. It's not the result of merit. It is a free grace gift. 
Now, the third area of superiority is those in Christ have something greater than the Adamic destiny. Notice verse 17, for if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. There are two major theological moments pertaining to all of this. The action of Adam brings condemnation. The action of Jesus Christ brings justification. Dr. Lewis Perry Chafer, just a tremendous dispensational theologian, in my opinion, probably God raised him up to be the best there was. You read all these other theologies, they're based on what he did. But he said, in all reality, God sees but two kinds of people in the world, those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Now, we know we're in Adam, and the fact that we're in Adam means we're going to physically die. However, if one is not in Christ... Not only is one spiritually dead and one will physically die, but then that one will be eternally condemned. But for the one who's in Christ, the whole destiny is different. One is spiritually alive, and when one physically dies, one has everlasting life. And the text says, by the way, that that one who's been justified is destined to reign through Jesus Christ. I want you to see that. Reign with Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. That statement totally contradicts any partial rapture theory. Because the issue of reigning with Christ is not determined by faithfulness. The issue of reigning with Christ is determined by justification. It's part of the grace gift package that one receives when one believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, carefully notice how you get this. You have to receive this. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace. Do you see that? You have to receive this. You have to receive the gift. Paul has already established that. He said in chapter 5, verse 11, that reconciliation must be received. And now he just further substantiates that by taking it up a level. And he basically says this whole grace gift of Jesus Christ must be received. If you're going to be justified, you have to receive Jesus Christ. Not everybody's going to do that. But all who have received Jesus Christ are going to receive everlasting life. But this grace gift must be received. And if you've never received Jesus Christ, we'd invite you to do it right now. Do it today. Receive Jesus Christ and be saved. What a package of salvation you'll get if you do that. The fourth superiority is those in Christ have something greater than Adamic condemnation. Verse 18, so then as through one transgression... There resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. Now these verses teach us that those in Adam have been condemned and were made sinners, but those who are in Christ have been justified and made righteous. And that verb made... And verse 19 is passive. We had nothing to do with the action. We're the recipient of the action. The first made is heiress passive, meaning Adam's sin. When Adam sinned, we were made sinners. We weren't even there, but we were made sinners. We received that whole mess from Adam. The second made is future passive, meaning when we believe on the Lord, we're made righteous forever, well on into the future, right on into the future. In other words, we have everlasting life. I love something Dr. S. Lewis Johnson said years ago, we're condemned through no fault of our own, we're justified through no merit of our own. How are we made righteous? How are we made righteous that God will let us into heaven by judicial calculation? 
God has calculated us dead and condemned in Adam. And God did that so that he could calculate us as being alive and justified in Jesus Christ for those who receive his son. Which brings us to the fifth superiority. Those in Christ have something greater than the Old Testament law. Verse 20 says, The law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we read that the law came so that sin would increase, transgressions would increase, we'd expect, if you think logically about this, we would expect that since... The law increased transgressions, and the law increased sin. It would increase God's anger. That's what you'd expect to read. But the text says it increased his grace. In other words, we all had a losing relationship with Adam, so God gave his law showing us what losers we really are. And as we looked at that law, we would see we didn't measure up to it. We didn't hit the bullseye. Yeah, we didn't do what we should have done there, and we did what we shouldn't have done over here. I mean, that law shows every one of us that. That shows us we need the righteousness of God. And what Paul writes here is the more you see that, the more you see your transgressions and sin, the more you understand grace, the more you understand grace. And he's very careful to write these words, as we pointed out in Scripture reading this morning. Grace would reign through righteousness. There has to be some legal settling of the righteous account. The legal debt has to be paid in order for this grace package to be offered. And the one who paid that is Jesus Christ. God made a judicial calculation that we were sinners, we received death and the death penalty from Adam so that he could make another judicial calculation that he would declare us righteous in Jesus Christ. But you have to receive Christ. You have to receive Christ. Makes no difference as to your level of sin. In fact, if you consider yourself to be a bad sinner, you'll just understand grace all the more. That's what this text is saying. So it makes no difference what your level of sin. The fact of the matter is you need Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ is in your life, God makes this judicial calculation. He undoes for you all the things that he declared for us in Adam. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the great grace gospel. That's the doctrine of it. That's the theology of it. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and God will declare you righteous. Man, Adam really did something in that garden that ruined us. But Jesus Christ did something on that cross that saved us. And you'll not be saved by your works or religion. Don't kid yourself. You'll not be getting God to justify you based on how good and moral and upright you think you are. You've tried to live by a few code commandments or traditions of men that they've invented in the church. You're not going to be declared righteous by any of that. You are either in Adam or in Christ. Let's pray. 
If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you have to receive this great grace gift right now. I would encourage you to do so right where you sit. Just acknowledge to God your sinfulness and acknowledge to God you want to receive Jesus Christ right now. Our Father, we thank you for this amazing, amazing passage of Scripture that just shows the depths of doctrine and theology, Lord. Again, as we prayed this morning, we couldn't even devise a plan like this. We're not in a position to understand all of the judicial matters that are at stake in this. But oh, how we thank you for grace and how we thank you for justification. In Jesus' name, amen.